Welcome to episode 70 of the Ask Achieve Show, where we answer all of your burning questions on all things health, fitness, and business. We're your hosts, Lauren and Jason Pack, and we're on a mission to bring inclusivity and positive vibes to the fitness space. Today, we'll be discussing our story about opening up Achieve, our thoughts on wrist straps and belts, and how to keep your elbows straight during overhead exercises. We hope you're excited. Let's get into the show. What's up, Achievers? It's episode 70. That's crazy. 70 is a big number. 70 is a big milestone. Yeah. 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 There's nothing else to say about it. <laughs> I just like it just kind of hit me in that moment. I was like, wow, we've done 70 of these. That's we've done 70. When did we start? Um, this is January, maybe? No. It was in the summer. Or in the, in the fall of last year. It might be like a year. I think we, um, I think it was in the fall of last year. Yeah. 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 I, th- I think that's what we at least we thought that's about the we idea. That's what we were thinking about it. Because yeah. I remember sitting at the, we were at a little picnic table. Hmm. Talking about it. Yeah. Which yeah. picnic table? Block 11. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Local, local coffee shop. All right. Anyway. So yeah, we have um, three great questions for you today and should we just get right into them? Um, yeah, unless, uh, you know, we can recap uh, USAW. This past weekend, oh, yeah. we had a, um, we hosted a workshop um, with um, Danny Camargo, and he is a, he's a Team USA Olympic weightlifting coach, and he taught a USA weightlifting level one certification um, at Achieve. It was both days, Saturday and Sunday, and um, man, he's just an awesome coach. Yeah. I mean, like. He's like, coach, like describes him like mm-hmm. it's you know there's people who like their job is what they do but then they have other aspects of yeah. them like he is a hundred percent coach That's yeah just like all through he, and through yeah he's uh yeah he, he he was unbelievable so if you ever um if you're a coach out there or trainer looking to um, expand your olympic weightlifting knowledge definitely check out a usaw level one but also if you can look out for a course that danny camargo does um because it's it's just top notch and, and uh, couldn't couldn't recommend it even, uh, even further yeah and yeah. if you're an owner who wants to bring him in um he does work his own workshops and you can request him as the usaw certification yeah um course instructor so yeah. We would highly recommend. Yeah, he, he coaches um, Maddie Cakes. Some of you might know <laughs> at Maddie Cakes, Maddie Rogers, um, who is a um, who's always an, a hopeful hopeful for the Olympic team. I think she was an alternate last year. Yeah, um, she's just a very elite just weightlifter. So strong, crazy, so strong. Yeah, cool, awesome. So that was great, and then we are excited to get into the t- into today's show. Whoa, into that, show. I just kind of made a Jason. Sometimes <laughs> a your, your words start coming out faster than your brain. Definitely, that definitely happens. Yeah. <laughs> so it can happen to all of us, I guess. All right. So the first question comes from Hayden Folgert, and they asked, not sure if this has already been asked or answered in the podcast, but how did you guys decide to open a gym? What were you doing before running Achieve Fitness, and how did you work into becoming small business owners? Thanks so much. You guys are awesome. Love your content <laughs> and your mission. Um, the the origin story. Yeah. Right. So I mean, um, we've talked about this a couple of times and we've got like a lengthy actually um, a YouTube video that kind of outlines the last five years but let's actually get into um, a little bit of our backgrounds as a whole even before that yeah Yeah. just like as personal trainers yeah because I think I mean that obviously shaped a lot of um, what we're doing today so our our start in personal training was in a a commercial setting Um, it's called Boston Sports Club but basically it's the same as chain as like a New York Sports Club or Washington Sports Club Um, and on a similar kind of realm to any sort of conventional gym that you would walk into and just go use the equipment and do your own thing. Mm -hmm. Um, We spent about three years there. Yeah. 
And after that, we went to a personal training studio. So this was very different, much smaller setting where we were working just one-on-one -on -one with people who um, wanted individualized personal training. Yeah. And we spent about three years there. Yeah. So in, as far as like pros and cons of both locations, um, I would say the commercial gym, it was, you know, I think a lot of coaches and trainers get caught up in like talking about how negative the commercial gym environment is. Um, and sure, there, there are a ton of negatives, but um, one of the pros, at least for me, was that we were exposed to so many different people, right? Yeah. So many different yeah. people. And not only that, really get in, getting in like firsthand experience into the psyche of someone walking in to one of those big box gyms that everyone always talks about and just getting to really identify and understand that people are just really intimidated and they feel like judged by others and they feel uncomfortable and unsupported when they walk in through those doors. And it was really important for us to um, just witness that firsthand and understand what each and every person is going through. And each and every person goes through it slightly differently. Um, and it just affects them in different ways. So we're able to adapt our communication style and adapt the way we coach based on the context of each person's situation. Yeah, I think that experience was so valuable for us because it was the foundation for understanding what we what we actually started to want to change about the industry. Yeah. Um, in terms of just how people, how nervous people would get walking in mm -hmm. to the doors. Like, I don't think we as individuals, Jason and I, ever felt that because we both we're pretty comfortable already working out. We had, it had been a part of our lives for a long time. Yeah. And so we felt pretty confident walking into the gym. Whether we had other insecurities or not was a different story. Mm -hmm. But walking into a gym never felt intimidating. Um, but seeing how intimidating it was for so many other people and how I mean, how long it would take them to, to build up the courage to ask for a personal training session or ask for help... Um, or seeing people kind of shy away from the weights, but look over and you can tell that they were interested, but they were too afraid to try it out. Like, yep. <laughs> all those things, just seeing, observing on a daily basis, these things happening, we were like, wow, this is like, it needs to be more welcoming. There needs to be a better, more support for, for the individuals walking in the door. So that was kind of like our first big realization about that aspect. Yeah. And so like, you know, people would be unsure of what they'd be doing from a free weight standpoint. And, and from an overall strength training standpoint, so they would just typically stick to the machines that had easy to read diagrams. Right. And that would be treadmills, ellipticals, and you know, Cybexes and whatnot. Um, or it would be like the Nautilus type of machines. And you know, if some of your training is devoted to that, that's totally fine. But if the majority of your training is devoted to that, um, then most of us know that it's, uh, it's just gonna give you less than efficient results. But because people were afraid of being judged by going into the weight room side of things, people just didn't end up going there at all. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. Um, you know, so that, that was kind of our, our experience there. And that's kind of what we took away from there. Um, and then for the personal training studio, I mean, it was great in that we could really work one on one with someone in a very like intimate setting, I guess. Yeah. Um, and really connect with them without having to um worry about them getting feeling like uncomfortable or intimidated by just an entire gym full of people right so it was a little bit more of an intimate vibe um but still again it was more of kind of like i guess the same it's just like if the environment isn't built to be supportive and welcoming and positive and it's being that message is being submitted by every single person at the gym then you know 
still, again, there's still going to be feelings of um, insecurity and, and feelings of uh, not being supported, things like that. Right? Yeah. And so I'd say there, one thing that we re- got to really hone in on was like our programming skills. Yeah. Um, because we got to like, we were just working with people who were with us for longer for the most part. So that was nice. Like it was still, people will still do like short term things here and there, Yeah. but we got to the experience of working with people longer term than I think we did sometimes in the commercial setting. That's true. Yeah. Um, so we got to experience programming for longer and how to actually create phases of programming and that kind of thing and experiment with that. Um, but definitely one of the downsides was that one-on-one setting made it actually really impersonal as a whole, even though it was very personal in that one-on-one setting, if that makes sense. So we had people who would have back-to-back sessions. Like I would train someone at five and someone at six, and those two people never interacted or never met each other. Um, We had clients, Jason and I, who worked out at 6 p.m. side-by-side who never interacted or met each other. So it was just very, it was kind of cold in in a way that, there was not a lot of support from the community around them. There was support from the coach. So we got to learn how to be that supportive coaching, you know, coach and, and person for them. But once we realized that a whole community of support is a lot better than just one person supporting yeah. you, we were like, oh, wow, that actually wasn't as supportive of a community as we as we thought. Yeah. And so this is kind of like the experience and knowledge that we brought in terms of how we wanted to set up Achieve in the first place. Um, you know, the first thing that we did um, was hire business coaches. So we hired um, Alan and Rachel Cosgrove. They're out in Santa Clarita, California. They own a gym called Results Fitness, and they've owned it for I don't know, eighteen plus a, yeah, years or something to like years that. At this point, yeah. um, and so they had this model of semi-private uh, personal training, which is basically three people to one coach, three members to one coach. Um, and they were talking about the benefits of, benefits of it in terms of like just developing a community and having camaraderie within the sessions and just um, how it just brings up the culture a lot. And we were like, wow, that makes a lot of sense. And so we basically took their model and really ran with it. And really our biggest emphasis was based upon developing a positive, welcoming, supportive, and inclusive environment um, that would basically make it so that if the person felt comfortable there, they would more than likely continue to keep coming back and be much more likely to be consistent, which would be which would lead to better results over the long term. Right. right. And that's why, I mean, this, the main part of this question is, how did you guys decide to open a gym? And it was because we kept feeling like there was still this big barrier for so many people to actually get out there and be consistent. Yeah. Even in the personal training realm, it was like, and sometimes the barrier was just financial, that yeah. like spending that much money on a single personal training session over and over again became very expensive. So being able to group people together made it a little more financially uh, uh, accessible yeah. or feasible for people. Um, but then especially just the environment piece of it, when we really sat down and thought about what we wanted people to feel when they walked into a gym, we we didn't find that anywhere. And so then we were like, okay, this is this is our mission. Like that gave us the drive to actually go ahead and do something really big and make this kind of crazy rap, like yeah. <laughs> sort of irrational move at 25 because we just felt like it wasn't out there what we actually wanted. Yeah. And I think um, what we realized was that if, if we wanted to create this environment that we keep talking about, it had to be just innate to everyone involved. And that meant the, the owners. So us, it also meant our team, whoever we hired, would have to be the same way as well. And we also had to make sure that we cultivated an environment of 
um, this sort of stuff with our members as well. And like just literally everything has to you know come into play because if any one piece is missing, and then it just starts to trickle downwards like that. Yeah. And so um, it's been a very big point of emphasis for us to have um, that sort of piece set first. Yeah. Um, um, then... They also asked, uh, that, I mean, I guess that's the main thing. What were you doing before and how did we work into becoming a small small business owner? Yeah. So. And then I guess for us right now, like when we first opened up, we had, you know, 25 members or so. And we grew that out to about 150 members. And I remember um, one of our members, Jeff, was like, he was talking to you, Lauren, and he yeah. was like, you know, how can you possibly maintain this culture and community and this feel when you get to 250 members or 300 members? And we were kind of just like, uh, I'm pretty sure he asked that at like 50 members. Actually, like yeah, he you're was, right. he was yeah, a lot earlier. Early and I think his question was, how are you going to do it at 100? Yeah. Like he was so concerned. It was such a small number. That's true. And yeah. he was actually so concerned, like, you can do this with 50 people, but what if you double that? Yeah. And I think, yeah, we I think like, for us, it was like, you know, in order to scale this sort of, um, this sort of gym model, it was all about our, our coaches and our members. Right. right? So uh, the first thing was our coaches. Like we, we don't hire based upon like degrees or certifications. Yeah. Exactly. The only thing that we hire on is just, do they embody our core values? Do they fit into the culture? And we just really envision, okay, would this person fit into our setting? And then we can teach them whatever we need to from a kettlebell or body weight or whatever standpoint that we're looking at from a training standpoint. Um, but it has to just be innate to that person to be positive and welcoming and supportive and all those values that we uh, embody in order for us to continue to scale. And so now we're at 230 or 40 yeah, members. And I would probably argue to say that it's still very much that sort of uh, environment that we've been uh, able to uphold since day one. Yeah. And the thing that we've done is continue to talk about it, continue yeah. to use the language of, you'll hear us say positive, welcoming, inclusive, and supportive all the time. And it's not a coincidence. It's because we need to make sure that those words are out there over and over again because we want to attract those type of people. Yeah. So I'll, if you are somebody who wants to put their headphones in and not talk to anyone, you probably won't join a gym that's constantly talking about community support <laughs> and positivity and all this stuff. You probably won't join that place. And that's okay. We're okay with losing out on a couple people who might not be interested in a great community and, and support and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but we will attract people who are craving that, who are thinking that that doesn't exist. And then they see that and they're like, oh my gosh, like I want to be, I want, I want that for myself. I want that support and I want to be that supportive person for someone else. Um, and so the more we talk about it and the more we continue to use this language, continue to thank our members and recognize them when they are doing that for other people. I think that's super important. Mm -hmm. Um, it just continue, it, the, it continues the to cycle. snowball. snowball. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, and now kind of our mission is that kind of the, the stuff that we've been able to cultivate and develop within the gym, now we're just trying to spread our message and spread kind of what's worked for us um, inside our four walls. Now we want to just spread it out to basically the world. And that's kind of why we've been so um, dedicated to putting out content and social media and just like just good information out there because we think there's definitely a void in the social media landscape for making fitness be a lot more inclusive. I think fitness is so, so such an exclusive thing, like just trying to show off what you can do and show off like what is great for you, but it's less, we want it to be more just inclusive of everyone, of everyone's body types, uh, ability levels, 
um, everything. Right? Yeah, I mean, most of what you see on social media is, not most of, but a lot of what you see on social media is from a personal trainer or from a fitness expert or fitness guru is going to be, look at me and what I've accomplished. This is how I got there. Yeah. And it's basically all about what they look like and how they, how other people, them telling other people how they can look like them too. Yeah. Um, and we just felt like that was so wrong because first of all, you look that way because of your parents. Like that is <laughs> number one. And sure, of course you can manipulate your body fat percentage and your weight based on you know, how many calories you take in and how much you work out and what types of workout, that's all great. But to try to tell someone that they need to follow exactly your path in order to look like you, and even to tell somebody that they should try to look like you in the first place right. is so damaging and it, and it isn't actually going to help people. And even well-intentioned coaches will do this because that's what they see everyone else doing. Right. And they're like, well, it's working. It seems to be working for that coach. Like I'm also going to work out in a sports bra and tell you how to get six pack abs like me. And it just, it, it becomes very damaging for the consumer who looks at that and says, well, I don't think I'm ever going to look like that. And I've tried all the things that you're saying and I still don't look like that. So I'm a failure. Um, we want people to see that they are successful as long as they're moving their bodies, feeling good, doing, making healthy decisions for themselves and their families. But it isn't about this end result of what they look like and if they look like us or if they look like someone else. <laughs> it's all about how they feel and their longevity and, and their health. Yeah. Well said. So that's the mission and yeah. we hope to keep it, keep it going. So keep it going. yeah, I mean right now the business is still a chief, like the business is still the gym, but definitely we're working on some things to get that, to get that further. Yeah. Further I mean, what's cool for us, we were looking back at some, some of the older pictures and, uh, first of all, it's such super grainy quality, oh my right? Gosh. <laughs> um, but you know, to look at the original like charity workout that we put together and to what it is today or our first rainbow picture of like six people yeah. in Roy G. Biv colors. <laughs> and now it's like, you know, we can create know, a, 80 people yeah, like about rainbow 80 colors people. and just like to see the progression and like how big the gym itself has gotten but the message and everything kind of like staying true to the original mission has been super cool for us yeah and we hope to keep, keep that doing going. it yeah yeah cool all right so that's our story <laughs> question number two comes from henry godfrey and he asked i was wondering if you could talk about the benefits of using wrist straps and different belts for lifting weight in your podcast and does it take away any benefits of not using the equipment when you're lifting okay so unless you're looking to compete in powerlifting or strongman or Olympic lifting or any one of these strength training arenas, arenas that have competitions, we would highly recommend not using wrist straps or a lifting belt um, in most circumstances. We think that those basically are tools and kind of workarounds to help you lift more weight but your body isn't necessarily capable of lifting that weight without that device. So your body becomes reliant on that device and your body starts to um, not develop the correct musculature to support um, the lifting habits. So if you're using wrist wraps because you can't hold on to a barbell, then that means your grip and forearms are gonna be underdeveloped and you're gonna be lifting a lot more than what your body is basically designed to lift at this moment in time. Also, if you throw on a, a belt because you feel like your back is feeling unsupported, well, the more you continue to train with the belt, the, the more um, under um, under stimulated your core musculature is going to be, which means it's not going to get any stronger. So again, you start to rely on these more and more, and then all of a sudden, let's say you go to on a vacation, and you want to lift somewhere else, 
but you forgot your belt, you forgot your straps, you forgot everything that you usually use as lifting aids, and then suddenly you're kind of in a pickle, your body doesn't really know how to stabilize, and then potential injury might happen. And so we really recommend against it. Um, you know, I've, I've never lifted in a lifting belt ever. You did very circumstantially for your powerlifting meet. Right. Um, but yeah, that is a very short-term thing where she was trying to lift as much weight as she possibly could, but then she got right back off of it right after the training cycle. Yeah, and I love how you put it... Um like similar, it was actually a different circumstance, but similar idea. Like you call these kinds of things like strength hacks, mm-hmm. quote unquote, where yeah, you're you're you doing something. You're like basically hacking your way to lifting more weight. Yeah. Um, and this can be done in different ways. It can be done with breath holding. It can be done with you know creating extra tension in different areas of your body. Um, but basically, what we want to make sure you can do before you use those strength hacks is that you can do the movement well without any sort of help from outside factors. Yeah. Because the movement itself, especially a deadlift or a squat, all these things, they they show up in your everyday life. You want to be able to do them whether you're deadlifting a barbell or you're picking up a box and moving it or yeah. anything like that. Um, and then the strength hacks, quote unquote, where you are trying to use something else to just increase the amount of weight you can lift should be used sparingly and only when it's like a very per, like specific reason. You have yeah. to have a specific reason to do it. And I, I would say not trying not to train with anything like that for a long period of time. Yeah. So I started using the belt about halfway through my training for my powerlifting meet for squats and deadlifts. Um, I started using it at that point, not because I needed it, because I, but because I wanted to get comfortable with the mm-hmm. equipment. Um, and then by the time I got to the meet, I think maybe it added five, 10 pounds to each lift. It yeah. wasn't anything crazy. Um, but it definitely did. It, it assisted me a little bit. Yeah, it makes you feel more, more secure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but then right when I was done, I lowered the weights down, took away the belt because it wasn't needed anymore. I didn't yeah. have a meet coming up. I didn't have a reason to add those extra five, 10 pounds. Yeah. So again, always goes back to prioritize your health over fitness and it works from a strength training standpoint in that regard also relates back to uh, what we usually refer back to in terms of like weight loss, like people trying to crash diet or go on cleanses and detoxes in order to lose a certain amount of weight. It's same thing here, but except people are just trying to increase their strength numbers in a certain way, but always prioritize health over fitness. Yeah. Cool. And then little side note, like there can be certain, certain occasions where you might have an injury or something like that, like you did recently, mm-hmm. um, yeah. where you had a wrist injury from football. And so you actually, but you wanted to keep benching and benching was bothering your wrist without a wrist strap, but yeah. you actually felt okay with it. Yeah. Just um, a little extra support. And so you used a wrist strap for yeah. a while. Like those kinds of situations are totally different. Or if you want wrist straps for front squats, because you have a hard time getting into the front squat position, yeah. but you still want to do a front squat in the meantime, while you're working on wrist mobility, or if maybe it's just something where you have, we have a member who has arthritis who like really just can't get into that position. That's true. Yeah. Likes to use the straps as a little bit of support. So that's, there, there are certain ways that you can use them as assistance. That's different from using them as a strength hack. Yes. Um, so that's somewhere where you might actually find benefit to using straps. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say the same for a belt. Usually a belt is just pure a strength hack. Yeah, but, yeah. But this wrist straps can sometimes yeah. come in hand, handy for that. Good point. Cool. All right. We have one more question. This one would prefer to remain anonymous, so I'm just going to read the question. Um, which, by the way, if you ever want to uh, want us to keep a question anonymous and you haven't been sending them because you are worried that we're going to uh, post your handle or anything, like totally just let us know and we won't, we yeah. won't say who you are. Totally. Um, so 
This person asked, what would you recommend to build elbow stability? I have difficulty keeping my elbow straight slash fully extended when doing things like windmills or Turkish get-ups. Okay, this is a great question. Uh, and this is something that we see quite often. Um, and you know, the I would say for the vast majority of people, this isn't actually a true elbow stability or elbow issue. Um, and we need to look a little bit further above. And so we talked about this a little bit, I think in the last episode, but basically, if imagine yourself really hunched over in your upper back, so really slouch for me in your chair, or whatever you might be doing, except for maybe in a car, <laughs> uh, but stay in that slouch position and then try to raise your arm overhead. And more than likely what you'll find is that you can't really raise your arm directly overhead because your body is in a slouch position. And that basically is telling us that your T-spine is in a restricted position and it's gonna restrict your overhead shoulder mobility. And now a lot of people have restricted T-spines because we as a society, you know, sit too much, um, that sort of thing. And so in order to get their arm overhead for let's say a windmill or any sort of overhead movement like a Turkish getup or an overhead press, people either sacrifice at their lower back by arching their lower back or they'll just bend the elbow a little bit to fake like they're getting overhead. And so the elbow and the lower back look like symptoms, whereas the true root cause of the issue is a little bit of a restriction in the upper back T-spine area. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what I was gonna say. It's basically, it it is appearing, like the, the issue is appearing at the elbow, mm -hmm. um, but it's not usually coming from the elbow. Unless, I mean, the only reason to not be able to straighten your elbow that isn't like, overhead, that isn't a thoracic spine um, issue is like if you have some permanent damage like yeah. in your arm that like like yeah otherwise you should be able to if you can basically if you can straighten your arm out in front of you then you should be able to straighten your arm overhead yes yeah um so if your elbow just doesn't straighten that's obviously a different <laughs> a different issue um but if you can get there in one position then you should be able to get there everywhere and if you're restricted it's it's most likely a shoulder or a, or a t-spine <laughs> someone out there is with a broken elbow being like uh, I usually have to work on my T-spine. Lauren and Chase instead of working my T-spine, <laughs> my elbow's broken. Um, yeah, if you, so if you can straighten out when you just are in just a totally normal free position, then it can definitely straighten out if went overhead as long as you address uh, your T-spine mobility. Yeah, the other thing it could be is a um, lack of stability in the shoulder as well, Yeah. right? So we've seen that just kind of like people being a little bit protective of their shoulder if their shoulder is a little bit unstable and so the elbow bending to try to create a little bit of stability yeah. in the arm to protect the shoulder yeah um so if that's the case things you know shoulder stability work like even working on things like tall planks um like holding yourself in a tall plank position to try to sta stabilize that shoulder maybe doing like shoulder taps where you're tapping your opposite shoulder um any rotator cuff exercises things like that yeah Actually, this is probably good to, um, we'll put together a T-spine mobility video for YouTube that is a little bit more comprehensive than some of the posts that we put up on Instagram. Um, definitely check back on our Instagram feed for, there's, there's plenty of T-spine mobility posts in there, but we'll make a little bit of a longer video on the T-spine specifically for our YouTube channel. Um, but yeah, in the meantime, check out our Instagram page and also just Google it. Just look up T-spine mobility drills and there's going to be plenty that are going to work well for you. Yeah. Cool. All right, well, I believe that is all the answers that we have to your burning questions for today. Thank you so much for the questions that you submitted. And if you have any more questions for us, you can send us a DM at Achieve Fitness Boston on Instagram. We would super, super appreciate if you wouldn't mind leaving us a review on iTunes. It really helps us out. And until next time, peace, love, and, and muscles. muscles.